This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. By the book on BFM 89.9. Hello and welcome to By the Book with me, Sharmila Ganesan, and my fellow reader and woman, Lee Trey Lin. Hello. So we're just one day past International Women's Day. And so we thought it would be really interesting to dedicate today's show to a project that has been around for a good seven years now, um, which centers the idea of reading when it comes to empowering women, protecting women, giving women a voice. And um, it's a project called Read for Pixels, um, which sits under a larger umbrella called the Pixel Project. So joining us to talk about that is Regina Yao, who is the founder and president of the Pixel Project. Thanks for joining us, Regina. Thanks for having me today. So Regina, why don't you start it off by telling us what the Pixel Project actually is and uh, how the Read for Pixels initiative sits under it. So the Pixel Project is actually 12 years old and we have uh, currently at least we have about 25 to 30 of all volunteer staff on our team just scattered across five um five continents and what we do is we focus on online campaigning so we focus on the intersection between social media and the arts uh, which we are currently the only charity or nonprofit to do uh, in the anti-violence against women space and we came up with the idea of Read for Pixels, which is now what we call program because it's it's got so many things. We've got so many activities under it. We came up with it in 2014. One of the one of our mission uh, parameters is to try to reach as many people as possible to educate them about violence against women, uh, so that we can stop. You know, microaggressions like victim blaming and how people see uh, male violence against women, for example. And uh, our ethos is always, uh, you know, our approach is always if we go in full on and give people a lecture, nobody's going to listen to us. But if we reach out to people to where they are, uh, what they're interested in, then maybe they'll listen and maybe the message will sink in. And we discovered during one of our chats, informal chats, that quite more than half of us are huge readers. And we read a lot of science fiction, fantasy, romance, mystery and crime. And uh, so we decided that we would try to uh, go with that and came up with the idea of having live stream sessions with authors. And so the Read for Pixels, uh, the Read for Pixels uh, program was born. I was born in the spring of 2014. Uh, we had a small fundraiser with uh, the award-winning author guy Gabriel Kay, who writes uh, huge tomes, beautifully written uh, high fantasy tomes. We had a fundraiser with him. Uh, and then we started with... Uh, 12 authors, I believe, in 2014 in September, uh, starting with Joe Hill, who is a huge name in horror. And then we just kept going. So basically every uh, September, we have the fall edition of Read for Pixels, which uh, includes male authors, female authors, and non-binary authors. And every March, we have the uh, Read for Pixels International Women's Day edition, which is going on right now. Uh, which has all female authors. 
So I did want to ask, I mean, in the spirit of meeting people where they are, right, could you talk to us about the role, I guess, that reading and writing can play when it comes to educating or shifting perspectives on violence against women? A lot of people would say, well, you know, this is just fiction. We're just reading for fun. Uh, you know, it's just a story. But when you think about it, the earliest way that our ancestors transmitted culture from generation to generation is by verbal storytelling. And then once the written word came into play, we, you know, we have historicities that are actually logging down the stories of our past. And fiction is just another branch of that. People write, you can write about werewolves and mermaids and fairies, but you can, but that's just a vehicle. There are many authors who include themes ranging from sexism to misogyny, to violence against women, to uh, there are uh, sub, genres of fiction, of fantasy, you know, like eco-fantasy. Uh, there's also women's fantasy, all sorts. And when people read the books, they're taking in the message, whether they like it or not. What they think about it might be different if they analyze it, but the message is there. And if, if you, enough people read books, if enough people write about an issue, people, people will at least start considering their stance on the issue and maybe even take action if they feel strongly enough about it. For example, I'll give you an example. Anne Bishop, um, she is best known for Black Jewels, the fantasy series, but she has another fantasy series called The Courtyard of the Others. And through The Courtyard of the Others and the story world that she built around it, she basically made a lot of social commentary woven in really, really tightly with the story such that a lot of people, if they just read the story through the story, they don't realize it. She talks about uh, violence against women. She talks about uh, colonialism. So stories are that important. They can be prescient. Science fiction is always seen as a genre that's very prescient, that can predict certain things. So that's why writing and reading is so important. Writing is telling the story. Reading is listening and learning new ideas and taking them on board. So Regina, you mentioned genres and I find that really interesting because, you know, there are specific genres, things like crime or horror or uh, romance or erotica. You know, these have historically been quite known to perpetuate particular tropes, particular stereotypical ideas about women. Um, are you seeing a subversion of these tropes today? Let's take romance. A lot of people go, nah, you know, that's perpetuating rape culture and, you know, the whole alpha male thing. And, but, you know, for at least the last, at least since the 2000s, romance authors have been doing, a, have been speeding ahead of any other genre about what, what is consent in relationships? What would be a toxic male, you know, male person? What, what, what makes a toxic man? Uh, what are the conventions of romance that all of us have, you know, thought was normal for the longest time? Like, you know, men pursuing women who say no and then they'll say, oh, I'll just keep going, which is actually harassment. 
So a lot of a lot of people look down on romance. They think, oh, it's just you know pulp fiction. It's it's something that you know teenage girls read and and that uh, that is all fantasy. And oh, yes, yes, it's fantasy. Yes, science fiction and fantasy is the same. It's the same. It's all fiction. But romance authors have covered everything from consent to rape to domestic violence, and they do it really well. And we, I mean, we have we have Bridgerton right now, right? We have uh, Bridgerton is huge. Eighty-two million households have watched that worldwide on Netflix. And the author is Julia Quinn. And by the way, Julia is going to be with us on uh, the twenty-first of March, uh, which will be at the twenty-second of March in Malaysia, which nine uh, a.m. Um, you can tune in. You can go to the Pixel Projects Facebook page or website to uh, get the schedule and get the link. But uh, you know, Julia has talked a lot. Has uh, her books have over the years? You know, over the span of she's written forty books over the span of her her writing. She has. You can see how you how her thinking about and her approach. Well, not really thinking, but her handling of issues like rape, like domestic violence. Uh, like coercion, like stalking, all that has changed over the years. And she herself has talked about how you know when the Me Too movement started, then only people started noticing all that in genre, in in the romance genre. People might look down on it, but but you see, like romance is the biggest selling genre in the world, followed probably by mystery and crime. Which you, we would argue also that you know yes it's so violent it you know it uh, a lot of it begins especially hard boiled detective series they begin with uh, the death or uh, the murder of a woman or girl but authors are doing a lot of things to address that not every author obviously but the authors that we've worked with you know they talk a lot about well you know there's an argument now in the um, Mystery and genre and crime uh, community about a prize. Let me. I can't remember what it's called, but there's a prize that was set up about I think 2019 uh, for uh, awarding prizes to mystery crime and mystery and crime uh, books that do not include violence against women. And a lot of prominent mystery and crime authors have spoken up to say that that's not realistic. That fiction must confront this issue. That we can't just erase that from a genre like mystery and crime, because women, you know, one in three women face violence against women worldwide. The rates of femicide, you know, killing of women because they're women, and, and domestic violence, which you know, one in four women worldwide experience domestic violence. It spiked so badly in 2020 during the pandemic. It is continuing to spike now. It's it's not going down. So I think they are in um, in one sense they are right that fiction cannot shy. I mean, crime and mystery fiction cannot shy away from this reality. They must address it head on. But there's also a space for crime and mystery books that don't. Use these tropes that don't, you know, that don't what they call fridge 
women, you know, the refrigerator, women refrigerators trope where a woman must die in order, you know, to create man pain, you know, <laughs> so that the, the male detective or the male protagonist will have something to fight for, will, will get some character development. There, you know, that is a toxic trope. That is lazy. You know, that is, you know, just not thinking about how you're going to develop your male character, but just using that to just push it along. But there's space for everything. And I think fiction must look forward as well as address what's current right now. Well, we do need to take a quick break, uh, but we are speaking to Regina Yao, who is the founder and president of the Pixel Project. They are currently running a Read for Pixels um, initiative with, uh, as part of International Women's Day. That's on until the 27th of March for the program. You can check out thepixelproject.net. We'll be back after a short break. You're listening to Buy the Book, BFM 89.9. Bigotry Free Malaysia, BFM. 89.9. Welcome back. You're listening to Buy the Book with Sharmila and Lynn. And today we're speaking to Regina Yao, who is the founder and president of The Pixel Project. They run a, uh, a, a series every year called Read for Pixels for International Women's Day, uh, where they use books and reading and authors to platform issues related to violence against women. Uh, so, Regina, earlier you were talking about how genre and writers perhaps need to be a bit more thoughtful or to, to confront some of the, the stereotypes, uh, some of the tropes that exist within fiction, right? When it comes to how mm. women are written. And I guess I'm curious about the other end of that equation, which are the readers, right? Because I, I think that for many readers, um, especially in your more formative reading years, when you're reading the classics, when you're reading different sorts of books, you may not be aware as you're reading of the kinds of stereotypes that are there. And I think in some cases, that awareness never develops because the argument is, oh, it's in service of the story or, oh, you know, this is just how it is. And so how then as readers, perhaps, can we gain more awareness of the kind of political nuances or uh, these sorts of stereotypes existing within the work? So I think the first, I think it goes back, you talk about you know, reading as kids. I think it, it starts with, it has to be a conscious effort. Uh, it starts with your parents and your teachers. They are the ones who determine what you read when you're little. And the, uh, the thing with parents and teachers I'm going to say now is uh, think carefully about what, your, you know, what you are giving your kids to read. Um, not every book is equal. I do encourage children, children and teenagers to read widely so that you know what is what works and what doesn't work for you, but also so you can start comparing how two different authors treat the same theme. So how two different authors approach, say, boarding school, if you're talking about school series, so how two different authors approach the issues that uh, issues like peer pressure in school. We get a lot of that in uh, modern young adult books now. As for adults, the same rule applies. You know, when you read something, yes, you may read it for entertainment. Most of us, you know, after work, our brains are pretty much offline. We're just going to read whatever we want to read. We're going to read our favorite romance author, our favorite mystery and crime author. But also, uh, you know, 
have a little running voice behind at the back of your brain going, well, okay, so this is not real, but why is this book, for example, people have said to me, you know, I, I decided not to read, continue reading X author's books because it makes me uncomfortable. And then I would say, well, what makes you, what, what about it makes you feel uncomfortable? And frequently it's something like, well, they'll, you know, when they think about it, when they stop to think about it, it's like, well, oh, it, there are lots of racial stereotypes here that I don't like and which impact me. Or there are, I don't like the way the author treats the female characters. And I identify the female characters, but I don't like the way, you know, the, the outspokenness is treated as if it's a bad thing. So being able to read mindfully and articulate why you like or don't like something goes a long way towards engaging with the text. So that actually gets me thinking about books that are a little bit more complicated and to some extent, you know, things like Gone Girl or Big Little Lies, Girl on a Train. They've kind of become a genre unto themselves, right? Because they're bestsellers, they've become blockbuster films um, or TV shows. Uh, but they also feature at their centre uh, some form of violence or abuse against women. But Alongside that, there's a lot of agency given to the women in the book. What do you make of books like these? They're all also written by women. That's true. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's put it this way. Um, we have hosted quite a few mystery and crime authors for women. And the one thing that in our Read for Pixels live stream sessions that we do during the discussion, which uh, is very rigorous, is... Women's agency, the agency of female characters in the book. And that is really important. Women are not perfect. They're all human. So we all make our own decisions. We all react in a particular way or we respond in a particular way to uh, whatever's happening around us. And good authors, excellent authors would be able to imbue the same thing in their characters whether be they female or male or, you know, a werewolf or talking rabbit. So with uh, books like the ones I mentioned just now, uh, yes, they, they enter into a gray area where women don't, women aren't the perfect victim. Women aren't the perfect mother, you know, but, but that's the whole point that we want people to see women as complex human beings in their own right. Of course, women have agency and, and in some of these books, uh, women are the villains. But, you know, we celebrate that too because women can make up their minds. They, they, not every woman is a hero, just like not every man is a hero. They are bad people regardless of gender, you know, you can be a bad male person, bad female person, bad non-binary person. And it's good to introduce that sort of ambiguity because that's real life. So um, I also wanted, while we were talking about the success of those kinds of books, which feature these complicated issues and characters uh, that you mentioned, uh, in terms of reading and consuming entertainment, women make up a large audience for true crime stories and stories that have violence at their core. And we see this across the board, whether it's reading, whether it's podcasts, whether it's shows. Why do you think this is the case? 
You know, I have not thought about that, but there have been jokes. You know, I've seen jokes running around social media because, you know, Pixel works uh, primarily via social media about this, that a lot of women like to watch true crime. And I think a lot of it is, might, it might be cathartic. I mean, I might be wrong, but it might be cathartic that, you know, you're sitting here safe at home with your popcorn or your favorite snack and you're watching the, these true crime stories about, you know, women getting killed and uh, or women getting away with robbery or, you know, men getting away with all sorts of, of horrific, horrific crimes. And... Um, and I mean, I do watch, I, I mean, Confession Time, I do watch some of it. I mean, it's not my favorite thing to watch, but um, there is a point with to some of the true crime series, like on Netflix, um, there's a series called Ripper, and it's about the Yorkshire Ripper. And uh, the series is actually really, really good because it's a docu, it's, it's pro a properly done documentary. And it really talks about how media and the police, are, you know, both the media and the police are still rife with sexism. The way they look at uh, the sex sex workers that the Yorkshire Ripper killed, the way the women are portrayed, and how they only swung into action when a schoolgirl, a, a schoolgirl who worked at the supermarket, at the grocery store, was was the I think the seventh or the eighth eighth victim. These shows have their place, but I really think that, you know, if, if there's so many women watching it, it's maybe it's because we experience violence in our lives. I mean, one in three women and girls would experience some form of gender-based violence in their lives at some point in their lives. So this is so kind of like, a, I guess, a safety valve for releasing all that dread that's always at the back of our minds. You know, if we go out at night, it's not safe. Regina, so this year you are going to have a series of panels, um, you know, in conjunction with International Women's Day. It's already started. Tell us about the things that we can expect, the authors that you're featuring. All right. So this year we have 11 sessions. We actually have 10 one-to-one -one, uh, interviews with authors on live stream. And you can actually, if you tune in, you can actually type in your questions and the authors will uh, answer the questions. And for the panel session, we have a panel called Getting to the Heart of Things, writing about violence against women in romance in the age of Me Too. And that, if you're an author who's writing your first romance or who's Practicing, just practice, try thinking that you're going to get into writing romance. That would be the panel to sit in on. That's on the 12. Uh, that's on the 13th of March, which is the 14th of March here, uh, Sunday morning. Uh, tune into that. But uh, what you'll get is a discussion about, you know, the authors talking about the, the issues that I've been talking about in this session. And uh, you'll get to, uh, if you're a big fan of the authors, you'll get to. Uh, you'll get to ask them questions as well. And uh, we have Aliyah Don Johnson, Brigitte Camera, Elizabeth Lim, Jennifer Eastab, Julia Quinn, Kieran Milbert Hargrave, uh, Tony L.P. Kellner, also known as Lee Perry, Reese Bowen, Asia Roseanne, and Tasha Suri uh, for uh, this uh, March's lineup. So we've got something for everybody. We've got high, everything from high fantasy to romance uh, to uh, very bloody crime. And 
Lovely. Thank you so much, Regina. So that um, is the very interesting lineup for the Read for Pixels event. It's a virtual event. Um, anyone can log on to to check out these authors talking about uh, International Women's Day, about violence against women and how reading and books can help raise awareness about this cause. And for more information, you can check out thepixelproject.net. <laughs> us to footnotes and in conjunction with International Women's Day, which was yesterday, the 8th of March, we thought we'd each just close off this show uh, by talking about well, female authors and uh, some of the interesting female writers that we have read recently that we thought would make great recommendations. Lynn, did you want to start us off? I actually spoke quite a bit about uh, what I was reading towards the end of last year, and it was just all consumed by Hilary Mantle and her giant book. But um, in, in the midst of that, I actually also read, loved and finished The Vanishing Half, which is a novel by Britt Bennett. And um, it is, it's is—it's been widely lauded. It's been very celebrated. And I went into it wondering why exactly that was and just sort of, you know, bracing myself. And it's such a lovely read. It it essentially tells the story of um, a pair of twins and the ways in which their lives diverge um, back in the segregated United States when one of them decides and realizes that she can pass for a white woman. And so she sort of crosses over to, to that whole entire life, lives her life in that way. And it essentially looks at these two sisters and their families that they have from these very diverging paths and the roads in which they take and find their ways back to one another or don't. And it's, it's lovely because it has a lot of interesting things to say about race, but it also has a lot of interesting things to say about female relationships, about sisterhood, about friendship, um, and also about violence against women, because the, the book, in fact, does start in some ways with an act of violence. Um, so it's just a really lovely book. It is going to be adapted, much like some of the titles we discussed in the show, actually, into I think HBO's already bought the rights. But I wouldn't wait for the adaptation. I'd read the book first. It's excellent. Uh, it's The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. So that reminds me of um, Girl, Woman, Other by Bernie Navaristo. I mean, I haven't read the book, but just the things that you were talking about reminded me of very similar themes. It's a different style entirely. But uh, yes, I see where you're coming from. Regina, what about you? Who is a, a, a writer that's interested you recently? Um, Faith Hunter, actually. So Faith Hunter is an urban fantasy author. She writes the, she's more popularly known for the Jane Yellow Rock books, but I'm really, really taken by her uh, Soulwood series, which is a spin-off of the Jane Yellow Rock books and can actually be read on your own. Uh, it is about a uh, woman named Nell Ingram, and she was raised in a cult, uh, one of those, you know, pseudo-Christian deep, deep South in the U.S., the deep South cults, where uh, polygamy and forced marriage and all take place, and lots of violence against women, very, very polar, uh, very, very stratified uh, sort of community where men and women have uh, very strict you know, they adhere to very different roles. Um, and uh, she escaped that. She escaped that culture. And she eventually became a 
uh, part of a detective team that is that comprises a lot of paranormal people or people with supernatural abilities. Um, and it's a very interesting series. I think we're on book five now, book four, book five now. And um, what is really good about this series is that a lot of fantasy, science, science fiction, and you know any genre books, fiction, books, uh, they might use violence against women as a vehicle for their st story, but they don't really show the aftermath, the consequences of violence against women on the survivor, on the community around her. And um, Soulwood does. They show how Nell grows, how Nell has setbacks, how Nell develops as a person on, of her own and how her, of course how her you know because this is urban fantasy how her powers develop I'm not going to tell you what sort of supernatural creature she turns out to be but um, it's something that you know if you read fantasy and you are thinking of something a little different this would be the series to read. I love that we each have such different recommendations um, because I'm going to go uh, completely on a different tangent. Um, I wanted to recommend a short story writer um, who I've sort of heard of for the last few years, but I only got around to reading her books very recently. And that's uh, Kurali Manikavil. She is a South Indian um, writer and she writes a lot of she writes these dark, weird, semi-real, set in other worlds um, sort of stories, very much centered around female experiences, very much centered around darker elements, but written in a very digestible, beautiful, dark, weird way. Um, so the the two collections that I'm in the midst of reading um, are called "Things We Found During the Autopsy" and "Insects Are Just Like You and Me," except some of them have wings. So even the names are just extremely interesting. I think what I like about her writing is that, besides coming from you know a, a sort of experience and culture that we don't often hear of, um, yes, there's a lot of Indian literature, but I find that works of this genre that sort of odd um, not quite fantasy but not quite set in reality kind of genre is not so common from this part of the world um, and the fact that the way she writes it's not it doesn't pander to a western audience um, and just beautiful beautiful writing short story writing can be so evocative when it's written well and um, Kareli Manikville is, is just one of those very underrated writers that I think is definitely worth checking out. Lovely. So that's it from us. Um, just our little way of celebrating International Women's Day this year. Let us know who are some of your favorite female authors, who are the ones that you've been reading lately that perhaps piqued your interest. You can tweet us at BFM Radio. You can WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899 or you can write to us at bythebook at bfm.my. Thank you, Regina, for joining us for the show. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Buy the Book on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.